to Ketcast, the very first Kind Earth Tech podcast hosted by me, Emma Osborne. The Ketcast is here to help you navigate your way through the new and exciting world of kind technology, focused on companies designed to make the world a better, kinder place. In this series, we'll be meeting some of the founders of the world's most innovative companies and hearing about their brain-boggling products and processes. Expect to hear how two women are tackling cultivating human breast milk, how a South African startup is growing meat specifically for the barbecue, and what inspired a Singapore duo to make seafood clean and become one of the top-funded companies in cell-based tech globally. In true Ket style, we'll be bringing you guests from all over the world. The brightest, most creative, most ambitious and groundbreaking innovators whose inventions will likely change the way we live forever. For our first episode, I'm joined by the founders of Kind Earth Tech, Ira Van Elen and Olivia Fox Caban, who tell me how it all started, what challenges the industry faces, and their plans for the future. This was recorded during the pandemic and in the run-up to the third Ket virtual event on the 20th of November. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Kind Earth Tech podcast, ladies. I thought it would be wonderful if you would kick off by just introducing yourselves to us. Well, I'm Ira van Elen. In Dutch it says Ira van Elen. And most people in this sphere know me because I'm the daughter of Willem van Elen, who started the cellular agriculture movement, as many people say. And that was when I was 14. And sadly, that's more than 40 years ago in the 1980s. And um, I had my own career, but I was always my father's daughter and helper. And I was um, I'm used to talking about cellular agriculture. So in 2015, my father died and um, I left the whole cellular agriculture alone. And I got back into this because Josh Tetrick said I had to. And um, <laughs> he was right. Josh Tetrick and Josh. This, uh, ever since. And then there was somebody else. And her name is Olivia Fox Caban. And she kept me going. And she promised me that I would be really busy. And um, she kept that promise. So that's why I'm now also into kinder tech, into a farm, uh, trying to make cultivated meat, um, having a, a device in the museum uh, in Dresden where you can see how an actual uh, cellular agriculture machine is working. And, um, and we've organized some events, didn't we, Olivia? I got into the future of protein world in early 2018 when a dear friend, uh, a true visionary and someone far smarter than I, Barney Pell, to whom I was explaining what I wanted to do with uh, the rest of my professional life, um, said, listen, uh, it's great that you want to give your time to all these nonprofits, but tell me more about this clean meat thing because I think that that really could be the game changer. He suggested that I create industry maps if there weren't any already. That's how the map started in early 2018. Uh, kind of tech came into being when I had attended a lot of industry conferences 
Um, the first one that I intended was very kindly and very graciously um, given to me by Rethink Events. And it was absolutely fascinating. And I met a lot of fantastic people. Um, the reason that I thought we needed a different kind of events is that I come from about five centuries of nerds. We've been scientists for far too long. <laughs> and so for me, industry conferences were a revelation and not necessarily a, a very nice one because I hadn't realized what a, heavily, what a heavy role sponsorship plays in the content of the conferences. Um, in academic conferences, you speak on merit alone, period, end of story, that's it. Yeah. Um, in most industry conferences, this isn't a knock on any one event more than another. You can literally buy your way onto the speaking stage. And so the other thing that happened, actually, I think this may be the first time I actually say this um, in a public forum. Um, the last book that I wrote with my co-author was on the neuroscience of genius. And it was looking at, we finally know what area of the brain is responsible for all human genius, all the greatest inventions. And our book was essentially, hi, um, here's what it's called, here's how it works, here's how to make it work better, here's what makes it work worse, goodbye. And what struck me with all these industry conferences is that simply through logistics, they seem to be organized exactly contrary to the ways in which the brain's genius network works. And so no wonder people came out of these conferences that they were, you know, they're bored or just hadn't come up with a lot of things new because yeah. literally the agenda, the structure, even the physical areas of the conferences are designed to shut that area of the brain down. So I figured we'd, we'd have just one single, one time, small event just to show the concept and um, told Bruce uh, Friedrich of GFI um, in like September, October, we were planning, he nearly had a heart attack because as he explained, listen, GFI's conference take a year and a half to organize and it is a full-time team. And I was showing up saying, hi, I'm gonna do something in three months, it's gonna be in January and that's it. Um, we were really saved by an army of spectacular volunteers, just amazing people. And the conference was a huge success um, because it was such a different kind of conference. Actually, there's a great piece by uh, one of the GFI writers that literally called it a different kind of conference. No panels. We will never have any panels ever under any circumstances whatsoever. And there were a lot of other rules that really come from the way this part of the brain works. That was early 2019. Now, if you're wondering why um, Ira is named as co-founder on kind of thought tech, it's one, because I have the tendency to bully people into accepting bigger roles and titles. Um, <laughs> and two, in this particular case, I intended to stop after the San Francisco event. Like we'd made our point, everyone knew what kind of event could be made. I was beyond exhausted. I'd actually collapsed due to severe exhaustion a couple weeks before. Were it not for Ira, um, Ket would have ended there. Ira insisted that what we had was something really, really special and that yeah. should be continued. 
So I uh, made her co-founder by simply going into her LinkedIn account and making her co-founder. I then made her CEO. She learned that when people started <laughs> congratulating her. And I said, oh, by the way, you're CEO. I should have mentioned. Um, I tend to do that. Um, and then things just started getting so much bigger. The maps really took off. We had more and more volunteers. The event in Amsterdam was a triumph all credit to Ira. I don't think she slept for three weeks, but I mean, an event where the breakout sessions were done. And again, there's some solid neuroscience to back all of this up, where the breakout sessions were held on canal boats gliding through Amsterdam. So of course it was amazing. I mean, it was incredibly interactive. Yeah. Um, and at the end of that event, it was clear to both of us that Ket had not just the possibility but the duty to really go global and because of the way you and i work um a we love each other very much but b more importantly we are very very well aware of our own and each other's limitations which is why from the get-go when we were planning ket we were clear with everyone that if you want this thing to succeed neither era nor i should be anywhere near the operational chain of command I mean, we're very clear about that. Um, we can be founders, yeah. uh, but we need COOs and, you know, people who actually can make the run on time and the trains sail smoothly, if you will. Um, that was summer 2019. We were planning a bunch of events. The maps were taking off. And so I think that's it. As of today, I am officially on sabbatical because I'm so far behind on writing my third book, um, which I've been carrying around in my head for six bloody months. I swear to God, my head's about to explode. It's been leaking out of my ears at night. I'm not kidding. Like entire paragraphs are leaking out of my ears. Um, however, I'm thrilled that I found a way to incorporate the food tech world into the new book. So it is still going to be about the genius myth, but I'll be using food tech geniuses as examples. And um, there's going to be a strong Gen Z component to that also. So what does Ket and Kind Earth Tech, what, are the, what does it mean? What are the values? Yeah, so let me just give the pithy version, then you give the long one. Kind Earth Tech is because we believe that tech has the ability to create an extraordinary amount of progress, of good, of real kindness towards people, planet, animals. So Kind Earth Tech, this is tech for good. Ira, floor's yours. Well, the thing is, when we started this, I thought I was organizing the Alternative Protein Show in Amsterdam Nemo and then about every week we had different logos different websites different whatever and at a certain point this cat popped up and for me the magical word is the fact that it's tech in there uh, and one of the things that I believe people are is technical beings and we sort of make techniques into our second nature and wouldn't it be great if we would put kind tech into our second nature and that would probably be good for the earth. Why do you think cell-based is becoming such a popular space for people now? I've been around this topic for a long time and I think people are now starting to understand that cell-based, there isn't anything in this world that is not cell-based if we wanna eat it or wanna uh, uh, create something with it. Uh, so, and we can't eat stones. 
Um, so that we are now talking about cell-based, uh, that's actually the logical thing. And the tech is getting there to uh, um, now, it's more advanced, the techniques that we can use so that we can directly create stuff with cells instead of using whole plants or whole animals. Um, so for me, it is uh, a no-brainer to talk about cellular agriculture because it's not a revolution in agriculture. It's for me just a logical evolution on how to create food. Olivia, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, just briefly that we are at a time when everything exponential is getting a lot of attention, be it exponential medicine, exponential anything you want. And um, AI, artificial intelligence, we are heading towards the singularity. Like it or not, that's where humanity is heading. I think that the confluence of the climate crisis, the food crisis, and a certain generational crisis, those three have come together to create a perfect storm, an environment in which cell-based agriculture simply makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like there's some there's a new startup entering this this environment almost every week that I read about. So this is obviously something that people are recognizing as the future. And I think it's such an exciting space that it's actually a lot of people are seeing it in terms of it being a brand new industry. You know, how many times does that happen in your life? Does a brand new industry start? I mean, you know, the, the most recent ones probably... I guess social media even oh, maybe God, yes. in terms of in terms of how big it is and how huge it is in terms of its um, impact on us as humans that's probably the most recent big change that we've had so I can imagine that the the kids of today it must feel like you know the beginning of Facebook did for us back then um, and um, and and I think that's why we're now seeing so many young founders start companies because why not there's nothing to lose is there so what do you see as um i suppose the things that need to happen in order for this growth to continue at the same rate one of the things that i like is that we have to educate 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 uh, yeah. as long as people understand what is happening things will actually happen and to be quite honest I, I, I genuinely hope that this is not something that is just fashionable for a while mm -hmm. and that it's going to stay. So I'm hopeful that we'll stick with it. And I come from another generation than the two of you. And to be quite honest, I sometimes uh, feel very comfortable in our bubble where everybody is so happy about the next startup starting something. But at the same time, uh, um, there is still huge investments in slaughterhouses. There are still huge investments in, in all kinds of bad food going on. And here in my country, for instance, um, there has been more meat eaten last year than the year before. So I'm happy about whatever I see and all the people I meet. And, and within that sphere, I'm happiest ever because I have never had the chance in my 40 years around this to talk to so many amazing people that get it. Definitely. I think education, you know, like you say, is, is absolutely key to, to helping get that message across about what it eat, what, you know, what's, what cultured meat is, what well, it, and, and why it's a, an, an option that needs consideration from everyone. I was just um, thinking that two of the, the main challenges that I see are scale and regulation. 
Um, the money can be found and will be found. If this can be made profitable enough, money will pour in. Um, but one of the most striking talks that I heard on this subject was at the New Harvest Conference in 2018 when um, I think his name was Adam Flynn of Forlight uh, made the striking observation. He said, turn to your left, turn to your right, look around this room. It's all bio people. And that's great because clearly bio people are important, but where are the engineers? Hmm. And the way he explained it, he said, listen, stop thinking that you're making meat and realize that you're making the machines that are going to make the meat. Yeah. Um, scaling and automation are really the single two biggest challenges you can find, which is why a startup like New Age Meats, for example, that has Brian Spears, who is, guess what, an engineer specialized in, guess what, automation and scaling, um, has a much better chance of making it than one that is entirely bio people populated. Um, with regards to the future, the demographics are so much in our favor that on demographics alone, we'd have a major market for cell-based meat quite soon. I mean, Gen Z is already approaching, depending on which expert you listen to, is already approaching or has already passed 40% of the world population. Mm -hmm. um, Gen Z is more or less uh, 1995 to 2012. The two things really that could stop that progress, one is price because scale automation and the other one is regulation that's lobbying if we can solve those two we're good what about um consumer adoption so um... yeah that listen that's demographics um yeah. the baby boomer demographics sorry you my darling um just forget about them it's most big food um, was obsessed about millennials for the past couple of years, and now the smart money is obsessing about Gen Z. Uh, millennials and Gen Z are a no-brainer. Um, one of the ways I like to explain is, is this. When's the last time you heard anyone use the phrase, a test tube baby? Been a couple of years, right? That's because IVF in feature fertilization is such a normal part of our daily life, that it would feel as weird to call someone that had been born via IVF a fake human. Well, in that same respect, Gen Z and millennials, they have no problem with life coming out of a lab because a lot of them came out of a lab. Gen X and, and baby boomers, they might adopt, but frankly, it, they're less important as consumers than they are as regulators. That is where the issue is going to be with regulation. Yes, I think from a consumer perspective, there's a lot of myths around what this um, space is. Mm. So um, one of them is that cell-based meat is uh, exploiting animals. This is something I've heard in the vegan industry, within the vegan space, that because it is using cells from an animal, it is still exploiting an animal. <laughs> Cellular agriculture, or let's say in vitro meat, as my father started uh, in the 1980s, was not designed for vegans. You do take a cell from an animal. Uh, the research that has been done, it comes from uh, medical research, and that is not animal-friendly research at all. Um, so if, if you are an ethical vegan, I can understand that you say, hey, this is not what I want to eat. And that's totally fine with me. It's for those that want to eat meat. Do you want to eat meat or do you want to eat a slaughtered animal? And that's what this is, is about. 
I, I'm not sure what is a myth about this. The only two I can think of are one, consumers will never go for this. Um, which really, honestly, the quickest way to dispel that one is the IVF metaphor plus the hello, have you met Gen Z? And the, this is science fiction, the science fiction, this can't possibly be happening because if you look at what Solar Foods, Pasi, Vainika and his team are doing in Finland, for example, it's literally creating food out of thin air or out of car exhaust, hydrocarbons. Well, I tend to say, listen, Isaac Asimov predicted everything, including this, but more seriously, it can be hard to accept that this really is happening. It's not science fiction. And yes, we are going to be creating whole cuts of meat outgrown in air, literally. I guess that with any new technology, there is always, what comes with that is a huge amount of misunderstanding and um, and I guess in this case, there's also opposition in that it's going to be challenging the norm. It's challenging the current system, which is making people lots of money and it's something everyone understands and can see how it works and see how it benefits them. Um, and so anything disruptive um, is always going to raise eyebrows and be torn into by the critics. But I think, um, you know, all the points you've mentioned cover off the majority of the things that I think people will be using to try and stop this movement so um now anyone listening to this is probably really revved up and excited for cell-based meats to you know be able to go out and buy what of the products that you're across and that you've seen which of them have been those that you think are likely to be the first to reach the consumer well i think uh to reach the con consumer um there are a few startups that can sort of give the torch to, to each other. And I root for every one of them because if you look at the amount of need that they have to tackle, not one of them can do it alone. If they get it to scale and if they get the right price and God forbid, the right taste to it, then also look at the species that they're working on. Uh, right now, mm. I am proud to say that we have around 50 of these uh, 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 startups. But if you divide that, that between fish and beef and pork and chicken, that's only eight or 10 each species. And now in South Africa, we have one that works on springbok. So yeah. if you look at those numbers, I don't care who's the first, uh, as long as there's a second, a third, a fourth, and, and, and 400 startups, and there's room for that. If you look at the numbers that we have to tackle in meat, Everybody should start uh, make a startup in cultivated meat because, for instance, we now have, I think, two or three that are working on foie gras only. Um, so if you look at those numbers, 50 may seem a lot, but it's not, a, not nearly enough. So if someone's listening to this now and thinking, I really want to get involved, you know, I, there's no way that I could set up my own startup for cultivated meat i mean that's way beyond what what i could possibly do how could they get involved so many ways um hiring is the second biggest problem that startups are having after um fundraising they just cannot hire fast enough they're growing so fast and they need people with a technical background um, so if you have a technical scientific background, whether it's in tissue culturing, whether it's in engineering, my God, we need engineers. There are so many startups hiring for so many positions. 
the other area that is going to see a lot of growth, I think, is indeed in the lobbying area. Um, the smart, big companies have been pouring money into this field, and that means that are going to be willing to put some push behind new regulations. So anyone with a, a legal background, that's where we need you. I think anybody with a, a, a brain uh, working within... Uh, uh, working with other people. If you're a teacher in school, uh, there are programs for schools to educate children. Uh, if you write books, write about the plight for animals. Uh, but also, if you're good at getting money, Olivia and myself, uh, we are good at creating value. Um, and, and anybody with a nice brain, come and, uh, and, and, and get your friends to come to a cat event. Absolutely, that everyday activism is uh, is in in everybody's hands, isn't it? It's uh, it's what you read, yeah. it's how you spend your time, it's what you listen to, it's what you watch, it's what you talk about, it's, it's your how you spend your money. Every time you open everything. your wallet. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, we've talked a lot about meat, and yet you know, kind Earth Tech is not only meat or fish or, or food even. No, so what are the other areas that um, we can expect to see Kind Earth Tech getting involved in in the future? Um, Ket fashion for sure, Ket kids, um, Ket men. There was also a Ket women planned. Here, what am I forgetting? Oh, well, then there was the huge, huge pro project like the Grand Celebrator. But yeah. in fashion, it's looking, for example, at um, the leather that is now either grown uh, cell-based leather or mycelium-based or um, uh, other kind of plant-based, of which there are many. I heard one genius idea that apparently, if I remember correctly, the Vietnamese government had where... Uh, poached animal horns, so rhino horns, elephant tusks, etc., are a big part of traditional medicine, and it's the black market there is a real problem. And um, the government, bless them, um, realized that if they could flood the market with lab-grown um, rhino horns, then the purchasers on the black market could not be sure anymore if they were getting the real thing, and thus all of a sudden there's a lot less demand for it, which was really genius. Um, personally, I am ever so slightly um, passionate about getting mycologists and other fungi people to get off their asses and start marketing bloody hell because mushrooms can do everything. They can replace styrofoam, which is really the worst possible material. Styrofoam does not degrade, period. Um, Construction materials like bricks, the con brick could be replaced. Of course, you've heard about the tables, chairs, etc. that Ecovative can grow out of mushrooms, grow your own furniture. Um, then there's the silk, the leather, everything else. Um, this, the problem that the fungi industry has is a PR problem um, because too many of the people involved in the fungi industry are scientists. I love you so much, but my God, you're terrible at marketing. I mean, scientists are the worst at networking, self-promotion, bragging, any of the show and tell characteristics. And they believe, bloody idiots, that if your work is good enough, it should speak for itself. That's not how the world works. Not now, possibly not ever. You're always selling. Even when you're just trying to convince people of an idea, you are still selling an idea. Your salespeople get used to it. 
and wake up and smell the mushroom coffee. Uh, but there are indeed a whole lot other industries that can and will be revolutionized by these new technologies. Yeah, it takes a, it, it, it takes a lot of hands to make this happen, doesn't it? And lots of different types of people. Um, yeah. And I think the marketing piece is so important because what's required for this, this whole industry to take off is a stretch of imagination. That's what marketeers do is we, you know, yeah. I suppose change perspectives. That's what's needed. You just asked what somebody can do if they listen to us. Well, use your imagination and think within your own line of work what needs to be done there to apply what we are working on? Try to educate yourself and, and see whether there's a niche for you and start your own bloody startup. <laughs> and we will put them on the map. If you create the right science and have the right content, you don't have to pay us and you'll be on stage with us because then we will make you educate everybody around your future because that's what we want. And can you tell us more about what the Grand Accelerator is? That also came out of the very first KET event in San Francisco, where a group discussion um, led by Peter Rowe of Deep Branch Bio, we realized that, I'm going to make a horrible scientific oversimplification, but think of um, single cell proteins as the stem cells of the protein world. You can texture them, flavor them, whatever them. Um, if we're going to save the planet, SCPs, single cell proteins, are going to play a crucial role. And when I learned that there isn't a single accelerator, incubator, or anything else dedicated to SCPs, to me it was a no-brainer that that's the first thing we need to do. Um, that's where the air-based protein, the, um, all the other SCPs fit. <laughs> and it started getting bigger. Then I realized that forget SCPs, there isn't even an incubator or accelerator anywhere in the world focusing on cell-based agriculture, none, zero. So that was also um, a no-brainer, but it was also realizing that companies like Lisa Dyson's, like Qviridian Air Protein, have the capacity uh, to make cities entirely self-sustaining. So you could theoretically take a city-state like Hong Kong, Singapore, Dubai, jettison them into space, and they would be a complete closed loop. You need never use a new resource again. Because through these gasification processes, you can turn a landfill, for example, into um, proteins, amino acids, oils, fats, feed, flavoring, fertilizer, biopolymer, petroleum, and I'm missing another one. Imagine if literally we never need use a new resource again ever. That meant that for proof of concept it was gonna to have to be a city state. Singapore at, the, at that point was and probably is still out because our government is too bloody smart. Um, Singapore has the single largest contingent exchange with MIT. Their government is deeply already enmeshed in and, and wanting to get more enmeshed in the cell-based uh, agricultural world. And the problem is that convincing the best to come to um, a single location would be harder if the government would own a piece of whatever they create. The UAE seemed to us the most logical place, first because they're willing to make big bets, truly gigantic bets. I mean, that the UAE, Dubai is, is a place that is not afraid of ambition, let us put it that way. Um, they've got the money, but also if you think of how they're situated economically and politically, 
they're in a desert. Um, their own in-house, in-country food production capacities are, I'm not gonna say virtually nil, but very, very low. With anaerobic cell-based agriculture and with a lot of the new plant-based agriculture actually, you could theoretically set up, actually deserts are perfect for that. You just set up shop in a huge vertical building and boom, that's your food source. They theoretically could become one of the world's leading food exporters. So I texted Ira uh, one night and said, um, hey darling, you need Dubai Incubator, what do you think? Um, to which Ira responded, I'm in. So that's how it was, it was born. Um, our thought, Ira came up with the name, our thought was to have uh, different divisions. So the building, the structure itself would be built from the ground up with the brain's genius network in mind. So for the first time ever in history in the world anywhere, you would have a physical structure that supports rather than inhibits genius ideas and breakthroughs. Um, the other idea was to bring in a single place all these most advanced companies working on crazy technology like growing food in space, in air, in car exhaust, um, everything that can be done with algae. Uh, Dr. Peter Ralph and his team at UT Sydney uh, have a technology that could hypothetically, theoretically, with enough money and all the other caveats, technically, um, well, let me put it this way, the ideal conditions for the incredible growth of protein that they have set is, a desert with no rain. So of course, yes, the Middle East, but also hello Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, theoretically, there would be a hypothetical possibility that you could genuinely end world hunger in a sustainable way, put a huge dent in the amount of damage that we're doing to the environment. So we were thinking of a single location where all the equipment, money, brains, everything would be situated to have a meat wing, dairy wing, algae wing, fungi wing, Ira's gonna catch me up on all the ones, and health wing, um, the educational component, and then Ira had a bloody brainwave and came up with the idea that made the grand seller to what it is, which is that, she's gonna take it from here in a second, but if you think of real life testing, most incubators right now there's no completely integrated system for the startups to test their products. At most, an incubator will have maybe, you know, a small cafe or a restaurant. Era came up with the bloody brilliant idea of having a luxury hotel integrated into the incubator so that in one single place, the hotel would be a living lab where everything could be tested out. The fabrics, the food, the health, whatever it is. And that had never been done anywhere and would be revolutionary. So COVID, of course, has put things on hold because all of a sudden, if people can't physically travel, we're going to have to rethink this. But it was an absolutely mind-blowing breakthrough of an idea. The hotel really was a game changer. Ira, all yours. Well, you have to make uh, life interesting for scientists, too, to make them do the best work they can. So try to make them work together. Give them somebody who understands the genius mind, Olivia, and give them all the data they could wish for, the hotel providing data from people, from what they eat, they drink, how they poo, they pee, they whatever they do. Uh, that is in a hotel like in the Grand Cellarator. All of that is data. 
and um, before COVID to go somewhere and be part of something uh, um, was very fashionable. And um, here you could visit a hotel, be shown around uh, uh, around uh, the, the most cutting ed, edge uh, of science and then also be part of it. I mean, that, that just sounds amazing. And I think if, you know, when it comes to life, I'm sure you won't be able to get a room there for <laughs> you have to join a, a year a year waiting list so we have this event coming up 20th november can you tell me more about that so we will start off in singapore we will end off with olivia and in, uh, in um, san francisco and we will showcase the the the, the people that are in our cat uh, environment in our cat uh, uh, movement um and we have a lot to showcase and one thing in particular is that uh, Kind Earth Tech this summer has been part of research being done at Wageningen University on the acceptance of uh, uh, um, cultivated meat as a possible future uh, um, industry for farmers. And that is cutting edge research. We are very proud as Kind Earth Tech to be part of that. And uh, it was an amazing mixture of all kinds of um, uh, people uh, that are in this field that had something to say about that. That has been put in focus groups and Cor van der Weele and myself will do a presentation around that on the 20th of November. So that is why we have to do it because she has to uh, uh, show off her amazing research. We are proud to be facilitators and also part of this uh, active uh, research. And that is just one of the many things that we we will do during this CAT event, but it will stay something that is content driven. Nobody pays to be on our digital sta stage and we will probably be able to send the first safety dates out in, a, in about a week. I need more of this in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, the, the only other thing I can think of is the maps, but um, quite frankly, we've got a full team. Even for me, it's hard to fathom just how big the maps are gonna get now that we've got dedicated teams for not just each industry, but country, region, it's, it's nuts. The maps are going to become something else altogether. And we're aiming to have all maps online um, within the next two months. Right now, we only have protein and dairy that are live and online. But if you are a developer of apps, um, we actually are creating a map app. So there's going to be a cat app that will be completely independent. And there's wow. a team working on that. I mean, imagine what an app could be. It, it would be the, all the resources that the maps are giving and more at your fingertips. So we're always looking for volunteers for the app. Um, you just won't be able to say you're working with that team because it's a secret team. Well, I can't wait to see the map app. And um, I can't wait for the digital event. And it's so exciting, everything that Kind Earth Tech is doing. And I'm so um, honored to be a part of um, this community and to have be working with you both. And honestly, I just think that this is such a turning point in history that um, it just makes waking up in the morning so exciting. Well, 
it won't surprise you to know that I loved recording that episode with Ira and Olivia. I think their enthusiasm is so infectious and I'm sure it's one of the factors in the acceleration of this industry over the last three years. They really are an incredible pair of women and I look up to them enormously. I'm looking forward to bringing you many more audio delights in the future and so please do follow us on your chosen podcast service and rate us so others can also discover just what the whole world of cell-based technology has to offer.